Tonight's reading can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 to 21, page 1161 in the Blue Church Bibles. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 to 21, page 1161. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with, with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we, we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be, swell, may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned for us this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to the thing, for the things we have done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others what is, what is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but giving you the opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our, in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love, love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he, and he died for all, that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting the people's sins against them, and he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we, in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God. Thank you, Josh, for reading. It's a bit loud, isn't it? Am I a bit loud? I think Brian, Brian will turn me down a bit. We don't want to hear um, shouting too much. Hopefully that's a little bit better. Thank you, Josh, for reading. Um, for us. Um, good evening, everyone, um, and especially a, a very warm welcome if this is your first time um, amongst us. You're particularly um, welcome amongst us. My name is David, um, and this evening we will be coming back um, to 2 Corinthians 5 um, in just a little bit later on. As Andrew said, and we're currently making our way through a series um, in the evening services looking at what the Bible says about male and female, and this evening we're thinking about the topic of transgender. If you haven't already, please do take up um, this piece of paper that should have been um, on your seats as you came in. That'll be um, helpful. It's a bit of an outline to show where we're hopefully going over the next 30 minutes or so. 
Um, it, it's worth saying before we begin that, and we won't be able to cover everything this evening. Um, one, because of time, um, but two, because um, I don't know everything, um, and that's okay. Um, but we are planning to have some time for Q&A later on, um, as Andrew sets. Um, so after the sermon, and um, we'll sing, um, and then we'll have a bit of time for discussion, and then we'll have some Q&A, and, and a few other people will pop up and help me, and we'll try and answer um, as questions as best we can. So if you have questions as we go through on, on what is said or, or what is not said, um, please do just make a little note of them, um, and then we'll come back um, to those a little bit later on. Um, we need God's help. Um, I definitely need God's help. And um, Let's pray as we begin. Father, we've been singing that your word is a firm foundation. Thank you that that is true. Thank you that your word speaks clearly and authoritatively. And thank you that you have, um, in Christ, you have started this reconciliation. And thank you that you have made Jesus to be sin for us, so that we, in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we pray, Father, that you would give us clarity as we think about this issue. And But we also pray that you would shape us to be more like Christ as we think about how to respond and to believers and unbelievers. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but um, hardly seems like a day goes past, does it? Um, where we um, flick open the newspapers, where we flick on the news. Uh, and there's a story about gender identity, um, or a st- story about transgender. Uh, I don't think it's controversial to say that transgender is the biggest topic in cultural conversation right now. And we seem to be surrounded by debates. And debates about things such as policies and places and pronouns. And yet it's worth remembering that the topics of gender identity and transgender are not primarily about policies or places or pronouns, but people. People whom the Lord God created and loves. And people who the Lord Jesus came to die for. People who are confused and hurting. People who feel unwelcomed and face rejection. People who might have had bad experiences of church and Christians. And it's worth remembering, isn't it, that we're not just talking about people out there in the world that we don't know. As we cover the topic of gender identity and transgender this evening and the implications for us, we're thinking about real people who we know. And we're thinking about people that we might work with. We're thinking about people that we might go to school with. We're thinking about people in our friendship groups, people in our families. And potentially even people here this evening or or others in our church family who struggle with a sense of their gender identity. And can I just say that if that is you, then thank you for being here this evening. Um, I hope that it's helpful and, and gracious. And I hope that it may help you to potentially share that with another Christian believer. Um, so that we can better love and support you. This evening we're going to make our way through um, three headings. and They're the ones that are on the the handouts with the numbers 1, 2 and 3. We're going to think about the underlying problem, the false solution, and then the real solution. Don't panic if they don't make any sense. Um, Hopefully they will do at the end. Let's begin with the underlying problem. And, And you can see from the heading that the underlying problem is that of brokenness. Brokenness. 
A few weeks back we were in Genesis chapter 3 and we saw the snake at work in the garden deceiving Adam and Eve um, and deceiving them to take the fruit and eat from the, the tree, the one tree of which God had said, do not take fruit from, do not eat. And the consequence of that is that all humans ever since have been living in a broken world and we don't have to look too far, do we, to see evidence of that. And yet it's not just that the world is broken. The Bible says that we as individual humans are broken. And the Bible says that we have minds that are broken, and the Bible says we have hearts that are broken. Uh, That is why we suffer from things like stress and anxiety and depression. And for some people, this brokenness shows itself as there's a bit of a disconnect between what is true of their physical body and their minds. And what is true of their physical body doesn't seem to fit with what they believe to be true, what they feel is going on in their minds. And one example of this is something called gender dysphoria. We'll come back to that term in just a moment. But before we do, we need to define a couple more terms. Uh, And you'll see from the the star um, onto the back page, I've taken all the definitions this evening um, from um, a website called Stonewall. Um, Stonewall are are a charity that... um, are pretty pro-LGBTQ plus rights, um, and I've taken all of the definitions this evening from their website, from their glossary, um, and I'll explain why a little bit later on. Let's read these definitions. Do follow along as I read. So biological sex is assigned to a person on the basis of primary sex characteristics, genitalia, and reproductive functions. So a baby is born... And by looking at the body, by looking at the reproductive system that that child has, by looking at the chromosomes, biological sex is assigned. And that child is either male or that child is female. That's biological sex. Next one, gender identity is a person's innate sense of their own gender, whether male, female, or something else, which may or may not correspond to the sex assigned at birth. So a person grows up, and their gender identity is what gender they feel to be in their mind. Now, for most people in the world, there is a match between biological sex and gender identity. For most people, their their inner feelings of gender in their mind, well, they match what is true of their body. But you see, there are some people for whom they don't match. And their biological sex and their gender identity are in conflict And biologically, they are male, and yet they feel like a woman. Or or biologically, they are female, and yet they feel like a man. We may have heard um, phrases such as this, I feel trapped in the wrong body. And their mind and their body just don't match up. Gender dysphoria. We can go back to this term. Now, gender dysphoria is used to describe... When a person experiences discomfort or distress because there is a mismatch between their sex assigned at birth and their gender identity. Now, whilst we may not understand this and we may not understand how it feels or or why some people have gender dysphoria and and others don't, or, or for why some people the feelings of gender dysphoria come and go, we must understand that it's a source of real pain. And I've heard stories this week of people who can't look in the mirror 
because they're seeing something that is physically true about themselves that they just can't believe to be true. Real pain. People who have gender dysphoria feel the brokenness of the world we live in. Yet it's important for us to remember that gender dysphoria is just one example of brokenness that we see in the world. It's not just that certain people are broken and that others aren't. All of us are broken. Because we ourselves live this side of Genesis 3, we too have broken minds and broken hearts. And that means that the first implication for us to take away from this evening has to be compassion. Compassion. You see, those who don't struggle with their sense of gender identity are very similar to those who do struggle with their sense of gender identity. Those who don't have gender dysphoria are very similar to those who do have gender dysphoria. Why? Because we're broken. We're all broken. And so compassion has to be our first response. After all, isn't that how Jesus responds? As he comes alongside the broken, page after page in the gospel. Great compassion. That has to be how we respond. The underlying problem, brokenness. And I suppose the question is then, well, how do we fix it? How how do I fix my brokenness? And what is the solution if there is a, a mismatch between my body and my mind? We've got two options. Do we, do we say that our body is correct and that my mind needs to change? Or do we say that my mind is correct and therefore that my body needs to change? It's worth recognizing that the big push from society, not just on this topic, on the topic of gender identity, but the big push on lots of things is that your mind can never be wrong. We see it all over the place. You can be anything you want to be. Um, I am who I say I am. That's the big push. What is on the inside? Well, that has to be true at whatever cost. No one can question it. And so, of course, that kind of thinking, more generally, impacts the way we think about gender. Uh, The feeling is that our biological anatomy should no longer control gender identity, but instead the reverse. Your mind, your gender identity, should control your anatomy. If there's a mismatch between body and mind, the push is that your mind is correct and so your body is wrong and therefore you must change your body to align with your mind. And that is why people identify as trans or or transgender. Over the page, here's um, a few more definitions for us to try um, and get our heads around. Trans is an umbrella term used to describe people whose gender is not the same as or does not sit comfortably with the sex they were assigned at birth. Um, And someone who identifies as trans, well, they might start transitioning. And that is the steps a trans person may take to live in the gender with which they identify. This might involve things such as telling friends and family, dressing differently, Changing official documents, things like pronouns, and medical interventions such as hormone therapy and surgery. A transgender man is a term used to describe someone who is assigned female at birth, but identifies and lives 
as a man. A transgender woman is someone um, who is assigned male at birth, but who identifies and lives as a woman. So someone who, who is transgender ha- has gone with their mind over their body. And they've, they've said that their mind is definitely correct. And therefore, because there's this mismatch, well, the body needs to change. And something physically needs to change about them. And that's the solution that they go with to, to fix this brokenness. But I suppose the question we need to work out, well, is this right? Is, is it right and good for us as humans to go with what our minds think? Is it the best solution to go with our minds? And I think we can come up with a number of potential reasons as to why going with our minds is not the best solution. Um, firstly, our minds are profoundly unstable. They fluctuate. One day we think one thing. The next day we think the opposite thing. The day after we go back to the first way of thinking. See, the push from society is go with your mind, create your own identity, be who you want to be. We think it's freeing. And yet actually it's profoundly unstable if we want to just create who we want to be because our minds change. Another slight issue with going with our minds is that if our minds get to dictate what is right and what is wrong, well then surely it soon becomes hard to say that anything is wrong. If we get to decide what is right and what is wrong, we can justify anything. My mind believes it, and so therefore it's right. It's dangerous for us to go with what our minds think. But as Christians, I think that we want to be clear that the main reasons why going with our minds is wrong is because our broken minds go against God's order of creation. Why is transitioning a false solution? Well, ultimately, it means going against what God says. It means going against who God created us to be. It means rejecting God's order of creation. That's the second heading, the false solution. Rejecting God's order of creation. I'm going to read some verses from Genesis and then point out a few things we see about humanity. And so do follow along as we read Genesis. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Just want to point out um, a few things um, about humanity. And the first, very simply, is that humanity was created by God's. Simple point, I know, but essential. An essential building block that we must keep in place. 
Why does God have authority to say what is right and wrong? Because he made us. Secondly, we see that humanity was created as physical beings. We're not just spiritual beings. Our physical bodies matter and how we use our bodies matter. We see that humanity was created in the image of God. You see, we don't need to go rushing off searching for a a sense of identity. We don't need to rush off looking for purpose. We've got a God-given identity, a God-given purpose. We see that humanity was created to be in a relationship with God. Um, We were to live under the blessing of God, not a distant God, as people think, but a deeply personal God. We see that humanity was created by God, and it was very good. Did you notice that at the end? Humanity, part of very good creation. God knows the best way for us to live. Living God's way is good for us as humanity. It is the way that we flourish. And of course we see that humanity was created, male and female, gloriously the same, and yet beautifully distinct, as Andrew was teaching us a few weeks back. And one of the distinctions between male and female is our physical bodies. We've just read the instruction that was given to humanity, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. We don't need a degree in biology to know that for babies to be created, you need male and female. Both are required. Why? Well, because we have different physical bodies. What therefore determines whether we are male or female according to Genesis? Well, it's not what our mind says. It's what our physical body says. It is our biological sex that determines our gender rather than the other way around. Now, this doesn't mean that all men are the same. It doesn't mean that all women are the same. There are differences between men and differences between women. There is plenty that Genesis doesn't say about gender, and we can never go further than the Bible allows us to. Nothing in Genesis that says men wear blue whilst talking about football and eating a fry-up. Did you notice that? Nothing in Genesis that says all women wear pink whilst doing craft and eating granola. And so I take it, therefore, that as Christians, we have to be very careful when it comes to gender stereotypes. That's the implication. We need to be very careful to make sure that we're not imposing unbiblical gender stereotypes that could cause individuals to question their gender identity. Our gender isn't determined by our interests or stereotypes or our minds. It's determined by our physical bodies. And so therefore, to go with our minds and change our bodies is a rejection of who we were created to be. Now, we need to be clear on this. Um, It is not sinful to feel the pain and brokenness of the world. Feelings of gender dysphoria are not sinful. However, actively choosing to reject our biological sex and therefore rejecting God's order of creation, well, that does go against what God says. That is sinful. And therefore, because it is sinful, we shouldn't be surprised to hear for people that it's just not satisfying. I don't think we should be surprised to hear um, stories of people who've transitioned 
who down the line don't feel any happier. Transitioning doesn't fix the underlying issue. It doesn't fix what is broken. The full solution, rejecting God's order of creation. Now before we all climb up onto our moral high horses and and point the finger at people, it's worth remembering that all of us do this. I said earlier that the big push from society at the moment is that your mind is correct. Um, But if we think about it, that's nothing new, is it? It's Genesis 3. It's every single human since Genesis 3. My mind is correct. I want to decide what is right and what is wrong. Since Genesis 3, all humans have wanted to throw off any form of authority so that we can be in charge of our own lives. We all do this. Since Genesis 3, all of us have been looking for our identity, our purpose, our our satisfaction in something or someone else other than God. It's what I do. It's what we all do. I take it, therefore, that another implication for us as we consider this topic has to be humility. Um, Humility because we are no better off as Christians. So striking, isn't it, that as we flick through the pages of the Gospels, most of Jesus' warnings are directed at who? The religious arrogant. The religious hypocrites. The religious proud. If we're looking down on those who have gender dysphoria or those who have transitioned, well, we're just like the Pharisee in the parable next to the tax collector. Humility. Now, because the false solution is rejecting God's order of creation, well, we we might be thinking, well, the the real solution, surely, is to just try and go back to that. And let's just try and go back to the way that we were created to live. But we know that that's impossible. And we cannot fix ourselves. We, We cannot fix the brokenness inside of us. And so, therefore, that's why the real solution is to accept God's offer of new creation. That's the real solution. Accepting God's offer of new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is partway through explaining that gospel ministry is weak. Very weak indeed. And yet he's clear in this chapter that it is worth being involved in gospel ministry because of the wonderful message of reconciliation. And the wonderful good news about Jesus Christ that says all people, whether they struggle with gender identity or not, whether they have gender dysphoria or not, whether they identify as transgender or not, whether they have transitioned or not, whoever we are, whatever we have done, we can be reconciled to God. The relationship that we were created to have, the the relationship that has been broken, well, that relationship can be fixed through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And did you notice what Paul says about people who've accepted the gospel, people who've accepted Christ? Verse 17, let's look down. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. 
glorious words that the world we live in is broken. We, we need a new one. We need a new creation. But Paul says that the person who has become a Christian is already a new creation. That The gospel makes us new creations now in the present. Not saying that everything will be fixed. Christians still face the battles and brokenness from living in a Genesis 3 world. But the gospel does work to transform us. The gospel changes our minds so that we start to think like God does. So that we start to see ourselves how God sees us. The gospel starts to change our hearts so that we start to desire and love and long for the things that God does. And the gospel will keep doing this. will keep making us more like Jesus until we are part of the new creation in the future. The gospel makes us new creations in the present and then sends us to the new creation in the future. There's a day in the future when Jesus Christ will return and when he does, all those who've put their trust in him will be raised to be with him in a new physical world. A physical world where we will have perfectly restored bodies perfectly restored minds, perfectly restored hearts. It'll be a place where crying and mourning and pain won't have a place. It'll be a place where men and women are perfectly restored into the image of God, together praising and glorifying him. The news that God is reconciling to the world himself, sorry, the news that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ The news that God is not counting people's sins against those in Christ. The the news that it's possible to become a new creation in the present and receive the new creation in the future. That's the news that the world needs. That's the real solution. The real solution to the brokenness that we see in others and the brokenness that we see in ourselves. We've covered the big picture, underlying problem, False solution and real solution. But I said at the start that this topic is about people. So I want to spend a few moments at the end. I'm thinking about how we might respond to people. Our response to Christians and then we'll think about our response to non-Christians. How are we to respond to Christians who struggle with gender identity or, or gender dysphoria? Well, here are a few things for us to mull over. The first thing to say is really, well, are we aware that there could be Christian brothers and sisters in our family who battle with this? Are we aware of that? Are we thinking about, are are we being careful in, in the language that we use surrounding stereotypes? Or are we being potentially unhelpful? Are we being, are we ready to be careful and patient in listening to what people are going through as an individual? Are we ready to take the time to listen what it feels like for them? Are we ready to gently remind Christians that their feelings don't define them? Are we ready to gently remind Christians about who they are in the Lord Jesus? Are we ready to gently remind Christians about the new creation? And here's a a really important thing. Are we ready to talk about other things too? Including our own battles. Let's not make the the topic of gender identity, let's not inflate it more than the Bible talks about it. All of us broken, all of us involved in battles, all of us need reminding of our identity in Christ, all of us need reminding of the new creation, not just certain Christians. 
What about non-Christians? How do we respond to them? Well, three words for us, all starting with L. Love, listen, and long. Firstly, love. We're to love those with dysphoria and to love those who have transitioned in the same way that we would love non-Christians who don't have dysphoria or who haven't transitioned. As in, why would we treat them any differently? And for our friends announcing that they think they have gender dysphoria or, or they think they might be transgender, well, that might be the hardest thing for them in the world. They might be scared about rejection from their own family. We need to make sure that they know that we're not going to be the person who rejects them, but who is there for them. I take it that part of loving them will involve making sure that a transgender guest would get as warm a welcome on a Sunday as any other guest. I take it that part of loving them is going to mean being careful in the language that we use. That's why I've um, taken the definitions from the Stonewall website. Um, so that we're ready, so that we're using the same language that they are, rather than quarrelling about words and causing unnecessary hurt. What about names and pronouns? That's potentially the question on our mind, isn't it? What do we do? Do we um, go with their chosen names? Do we go with their chosen pronouns? Well, the trickiness of the question is shown by the way that godly and Bible-believing Christians come to different conclusions. Some Christians think that it's loving to use chosen names and chosen pronouns. Other Christians think that it's loving not to use chosen names and chosen pronouns. It's a tricky question, and I guess that what we choose to do as individuals will depend on a number of factors, our own conscience, the situation that we're in, how well we know the person, perhaps whether they profess to be a Christian or not. Others may disagree, but for what it's worth, and it might not be much, When it comes to those who are transgender, I am very happy to use their chosen names. And I'll try my best to use the pronouns they and them as much as possible. And and the reason for that is because I think that by doing that, I am caring for them and giving myself the best chance at striking up a relationship where I can get alongside them and listen to them. Firstly, love. Secondly, listen. One thing we need to remember is that every experience of dysphoria and gender is different. One author puts it like this. When you've met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. This point is simple. No two people who have transitioned are exactly the same. And so therefore, our immediate response must be one of listening. Listening to them as an individual, listening to who they are. And listening to what life is like for them, listening to their thoughts and feelings, listen to what they are going through. Let's not presume that one sermon and a bit of reading will mean that we understand everything. Let's be ready to listen. Love, listen, and ultimately long. Long for them to know Jesus Christ. Now we need to be clear on this. Humanity's greatest need is not for us to live in a way that matches our biological sex. Our message to those with gender dysphoria and to those who have transitioned is not accept the gender identity of your biological sex. 
The message of the gospel is not go and change your life so that you sin less in specific areas. That's not the gospel, is it? That's works. The message of the gospel to all people is come and see how beautiful Jesus Christ is. Isn't it wonderful that he would come and take our sin for us so that you and I can become right with God? The message of the gospel grace, of grace to all people is come and be reconciled to God. Come and be a new creation now. Come and place your identity and security and satisfaction in the one who has died for you. Come and join us as together we look forward to the new creation. The better story, that the true hope, the real solution is not a gospel of works but is found in accepting God's offer of new creation. And so we love those who are transgender, we listen to them, and we long for them to know Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we confess that so often as we see things on the news, we proudly look down on society. We confess our sin of pride and, and arrogance and just thinking we're better than others. Please forgive us of that and cause us to repent, we ask. We pray, Father, that we would grow in clarity over what your word says over this issue, but also compassion. Please shape us to be more like the Lord Jesus as we respond to our brothers and sisters in Christ and also those who don't know him so that the gospel of grace might go out and more people will be with us in the new creation. Amen.